In a world where one woman locks herself inside a quiet studio and doesn't come out until the podcast is done, welcome to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed, a place you can get connected with Donna and her friends and listen in on some great conversation. And thankfully, unlike the intro you just heard, it's a drama-free zone. You're welcome. Now, as we listen to a bit of music from the amazing Mark Sparrow to lead us in, it's my pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Donna Reed. Very happy to be in the studio today. I'm with Bob Mann. His latest book is Backrooms and Bayous. He's been in journalism and politics. Um, He's written about the American Civil Rights Movement, the Vietnam War, to name just a few topics. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. We were speaking earlier about journalism and politics. Um, Did you decide on a career in politics or journalism, or did they both come together at once, or how did that start? We'll get to your book, too, but I wanted to start on that first. I I would say that uh, journalism brought me into politics because I was covering politics, covering politicians, especially when when I became the political writer for the Shreveport Journal in uh, the early 80s, covering Edwin Edwards and other politicians Mm -hmm. who were uh, campaigning for governor. Uh, It's hard not to um, be exposed to politics. It's hard not to see the the politicians and how they work and, and, uh, you know, get a really, uh, sometimes an education, but also catch the, the bug for maybe trying your hand at doing some of that yourself. Now, you wrote for a a newspaper in New Orleans. I neglected to say that at the beginning. We're talking to you in New Orleans. What was the newspapers you worked at? My first job was in radio as a radio reporter. Worked my way through college uh, doing radio, uh, uh, spinning records, and then graduating to (laughs) to news. And then after college, uh, working for a couple of newspapers in in North Louisiana, the Monroe New Star World and the Shreveport Mm -hmm. Journal. Later in my life, after I, I left politics and, and, and went to academia, I began writing a weekly column for the New Orleans Times-Picayune on politics. And I did that for about five years, till uh, about four or five years ago. And now, did you work at the Capitol, too, as a, an assistant or a researcher? Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. Well, I, I, so I, I went to Washington and worked for—I worked for, for a couple of U.S. senators for about 20 years in Washington and in Baton Rouge— and then uh, the last political job I had was as communications director to uh, Governor Kathleen Blanco. What did you like better, writing or working in Washington or at the state capitol? Well, I was fortunate enough to, to love them both and be able to do them both. When I, went to, when, I, when I left journalism and went into politics, I went to work for Senator Russell Long and worked mm-hmm. for him for a couple of years till he retired and then went, went to work for his successor, John Bro. And... I really missed journalism. I really missed writing. I missed the, I, I just missed everything about it. But I, but it, honestly, it didn't pay very well. I was making so much more <laughs> money working on Capitol Hill, working in government. And so um, I was fortunate enough to have an idea and have a, 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 you know, somebody willing to cooperate with me and Russell Long. I wanted to, I thought, well, why don't I write a book about him? He's the most, he's the most prominent and famous person I know. No one's ever done a book about him. And I persuaded him to work with me on the book to, to write an authorized biography. And Senator Bro, who, my, who was my boss then, was 
very supportive of of doing that and uh, couldn't couldn't have made it easier for me to write a book on the side. A lot of politicians wouldn't let you do that kind of thing. I bet that. I was um, thinking of a bunch of questions I wanted to ask you, but go ahead. Yeah. And so I, you know, I wrote three books working for Senator Bro, uh, and toward the toward the end, the last couple of books that I wrote for him, he was giving me um, you know, letting me work at home two or three days a week, writing the books while I worked for him. And it was just, um, it, you know, I couldn't have done any of this without, without Senator John Bro making the room and encouraging me and allowing me to, to continue my writing, even though I was working for him as his press secretary. How, if you worked on a campaign today, how different would it be? Well, so the last campaign I worked on was in, in 2003 when I was communications oh, okay. director for Kathleen Blanco's uh, campaign, right. and that was before social media. Uh, so it is a, it's a completely different world. I'm not sure I would know what to do in a campaign these days because it was just so so much more analog in those days because it mm-hmm. was a you know these one-on-one relationships. Yeah, you know we used email, but usually you picked up the phone and called somebody or talked to them and and you know directly in person. Uh, you know, you used a fax machine if you wanted to send something to them. And today it's just so, so much faster paced and so uh, so much you know so, so much more fragmented. You'd have to. I had last time I did a campaign, I had four, five, six, maybe seven total reporters that I had to worry about <laughs> well, communicating with. Today it would be you know potentially oh uh, dozens. Okay, I was getting yeah. So I mean it's just it's just a different world. I'm not sure I would I would have a whole lot of fun doing a campaign today. Well, my first book was that was that biography of Senator Russell Long, The Legacy to Power. How long did it take you to write it? Well, you know, I thought I, it's this is how naive I, I was, and I, I think I laugh I laugh about this a lot. I thought I could do. I thought it would take me about six weeks, six months of research, and six months of writing. Okay, I've heard that. <laughs> it took me four years. No, it took me four years, and that you know, and I probably should have taken another couple of years to 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 to, to do an even better job. I you know, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was I had a I had wonderful editors, a, a wonderful literary agent. And oh, a lot of good great. friends who were willing to read read the the manuscript and help me with it. And and um, it, I'm proud of the book, but uh, I <laughs> I think a lot of first time writers uh, seriously misjudge how hard it's going to be to do that kind of thing. And and that's why a lot of people don't end up finishing the book. So it's, you know it seems like oh this is kind of easy to do. It's a it's a grueling process. I'm on I've just finished writing my eighth book uh, oh. and uh, or eighth or ninth book. I've, I've lost count, but but, you know, after writing a few books, you start to figure it out and you, you're much more efficient and you learn what you're doing. Um, if I was to start all over again, I could probably do that book in two or three years. But uh, a lot of it was just trial and error. What was the hardest part the first time you wrote the book? <laughs> I think the research, you know, the, the thing about it, too, is that uh, when I started doing that book in the late 80s, all the research that I had to do, like I wanted to go and find, uh, you know, I just wanted to start out and get, get sort of the total universe of all the newspaper stories that had been published about Senator Long. And I had a lot of them, but they were on microfilm or actual uh, paper copies in, in, in the library or in morgues of newspapers. You know, today I would do, and I've done this uh, for my last couple of books, uh, you just, you know, you'd, you'd use an online database. Yes, and just search thousands of newspapers and, and gather everything up, save you a lot of time, and you'd, and you'd find a lot that you would miss if you were just doing it in the library, uh, going through physical copies. But, you know, I I also really enjoy that very slow, deliberative 
research process of going into uh, uh, an, going to a library and just just plotting through mm-hmm. day after day, looking at documents, reading reading letters and memos and diaries uh, that are in uh, archival uh, collections. That kind of research hasn't really changed a lot. It's still that slow, deliberative process, turning every page, as Robert Cairo says. Uh, some of it's digitized. A lot mm-hmm. of libraries are digitizing that kind of stuff now. But I really just enjoy going to a library and sitting there for days, uh, just hunched over uh, files, and go and and just the serendipity, the serendipity of just finding stuff. You know, just turning a page and say, "Oh my God, look at this letter! Look at this thing that no one's ever seen before!" Or finding something in maybe a letter that people have seen that they've never noticed before and recognize the significance of it. And um, that hasn't changed over the. 30 plus years I've been writing books. I still, I still love the process of, uh, of archival research. The only thing I don't like about it is I, as I've, as I've gotten older, my back is, uh, <laughs> is not as tolerant of those long days hunched over a, a table in a library. A good writer has that ability. They can sit in the library and research and research and find new data and they love it. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about it is I have students who work for me, graduate students and all that, but uh, and maybe I should involve my students a little more in this process. And I do have them do some research. But I find that if you're writing the book, if you're the person that's going to sit down and write the book, you need to do as much of the research and, as possible. Because mm-hmm. when you see a student may not see, what you recognize as significant, a student who's not uh, done all the reading and, and is really thinking about the, the story, the plot line, recognizing all the characters that you may be the significance of this person's name who pops up. Um, you really have to do that work, and uh, I, I think there are uh, there are shortcuts, but sometimes you just need to, to to do the work yourself and take the long route because that sometimes is where you find um, where things where, where things pop out at you where you where you have these really wonderful discoveries that someone mm-hmm. else just wouldn't notice. Now, I was looking at your bio, and uh, it said you wrote a book on President Ronald Reagan. Yep. What what year did you do that? That was uh, that was a couple of books ago. Uh, that came out in 2019. So how'd you get, where did you start to get the data? Did you just over the course of many years research and then finally put it together? Or did you give yourself that year-long timetable to get the book? No, that was about a three-year process. Was it? (laughs) um, Of doing archival research. And, you know, so the story I wanted to tell about Reagan was was trying to figure out how he became a a, a Republican. Mm -hmm. There was almost a little bit of a a dark, it was a black hole in his his life in in the 50s where he had been going around the country giving these speeches for General Electric when he was working for General Electric mm-hmm. as a, an employee and the host of General Electric Theater, a very popular television show. Mm-hmm. But he was giving these speeches in, the, in all these towns uh, around the country where he was speaking politically, making political speeches, but there were the, he was not speaking from a prepared text. He was speaking from, from uh, note cards. And so there was never, uh, you go to his library in, in California and there were no uh, re- there was no record of what he had said in all these places. So it was mm-hmm. really impossible to, to trace his political evolution in the 50s. And so what I did was, in, in addition to going and looking at the archives and finding what I could, was to methodically go through and using the, those uh, those newspaper databases and just finding every little story in every little small town mm-hmm. uh, for a, a 12, 13, 14-year period and try and piecing together what Reagan had been saying, where he'd been going, what he'd been doing, and more importantly, the the rhetorical evolution uh, of his uh, of his political views, and I was able to sort of recreate that 
through the through, through the newspaper through the local newspaper accounts, which uh-huh. had, you just couldn't do that if you were, if you didn't have those those computer databases because you'd have to go to every little small town library and <laughs> right, find yeah. some little little local newspaper and it would take it would take you a hundred years to do do all that. And uh, now, did family and friends of his help you with this, or were you out on your own? I was pretty much on my own. You know, I really. So this was stuff that was happening in the late 40s, 50s, early 60s. No, there wasn't. You know, yeah. I tried, I tried so hard to find people who were at these speeches, or who, and, and you know, it culminates with a big speech that Reagan gives for Barry Goldwater in, in October of 64. And I, and I knew there were about 400 people in the room when he gave the speech, and I couldn't find a single one of them. Uh, but you got the book done. But and, I got the book done. And that's what matters. I'm talking yeah. to Robert Mann, who holds the Manship Chair and Journalism at Louisiana State University's Manship School of Mass Communication. And we're going to talk about your book as well called Backrooms and Bayous. Now, you're a professor at LSU and you're writing at the same time. You must have a very organized events, a diary of some sort to do all these things. <laughs> Well, I'm fortunate enough that I that I have teaching days and research and writing days, so oh, okay. I can I can block off big chunks of time. And you know, honestly, during the pandemic, um, and a lot sure. of most of my teaching was online, and there weren't students coming around because they were all, you know, at home or in the yeah. dorm rooms, and we weren't really physically interacting. So I had a lot of free time or time to do my research and writing the last couple of years that I wouldn't have normally had, and I got a lot done. So tell us a little bit about Backrooms and Bayous, your newest book. Yeah, so um, I had, you know, I've written all these books, but they're all about, they're all political history, uh, mm-hmm. they're not about myself. I was, I, you know, I had this other life when I was, uh, in addition to my my, my writing and my work in, in academia, I'd spent uh, 30, uh, 30 years either covering politics or working in politics in Louisiana, and uh, working for or interviewing some really interesting politicians. And I realized that I had actually known or interviewed or worked for every governor of Louisiana since uh, yeah. 1944, mid-1940s. Really? And, uh, you know, I'd worked for, uh, for three U.S. senators and a governor and been involved in a lot of other campaigns and just seen a lot. And I felt like I, you know, I, I'd told friends before that they needed to write their memoirs and I, I I'd kind of harangued a few of them about not doing it, and I finally decided I needed to take my own advice and write down uh, what I had, what I had seen, what I had experienced, uh, yeah. for history's sake. But also, uh, to be really quite honest, I wanted my children and my future grandchildren, if I'm so blessed, to to know something about me and what I did in my my early years. Was it the easiest book to write of all the books you've written? Well, it was easy in a lot of ways because I, I sort of knew what I was writing mm-hmm. about. You know, right. I, I was the person I was writing about. I had also been, uh, I'm a pack rat, so I saved, I saved everything. And in my early years when I was a journalist and in my early years in politics, I kept a diary. So I had a lot of uh, material that, that was useful to me because I was, it was, I was reflecting on stuff in real time. And so I was able not, not having to, to imagine what I was thinking at the time. I often had the reflections that I had made later in that day about the event. So that helped me a lot. And I had saved a lot uh, of documents. And uh, so I was able to, I had a good, I had a good uh, collection of papers and other memorabilia that I could rely on. So it was easy from that standpoint. The hard part was, uh, was the, 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 
the and the writing of the stories were, were easy. The hard mm-hmm. part was when I decided to, to 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 take account of my own life and my and, and talk about the mistakes that I made, the ways that I think I failed other people, the ways that I think I failed myself. And the book really sort of morphed into uh, not only a book about political history of Louisiana in the last 30, 40 years, but really about the, the, the uh, self-reflection, uh, 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 chronicling my mistakes and my, my ethical shortcomings. And I, cause I felt like I owed it to my children, to my students and to anybody who reads to not make myself the hero of the book, but to, mm-hmm. um, to be really honest about how I screwed up and what I learned from it. Do you think it's the type of book where uh, an incoming journalism student would read or would be part of their required reading in a class? Well, I think so. I hope so. And I, I honestly, I, yeah, I think for a journalist, yes, maybe more so for someone who wants to go into politics, mm. um, because it's really more about my political um, evolution, my, 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 um, my years in politics, working for these for these politicians, and and what I learned from them, and what I learned from making mistakes while I worked from them. It, it's it's a it's it's a lot about these politicians and a lot about Louisiana history, but, you know, I was part of it. I was there. Yeah. So I'm writing about what I saw and what I thought and what I, and what I did. A lot of it is about Hurricane Katrina. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of it is about working for uh, Governor Blanco and being, you know, behind the scenes and seeing um, the, the, the politics of Katrina and the days before, during, and, and after that in, in, in 2003. In your book, Backrooms and Bayous, too, the political landscape has changed even since you started writing that book. Well, it really has. I mean, it's, oh my God, it's it's, it's changed a lot. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's changing way too fast it's for, I think, a lot of people. But yes, it has, very much so. So if you were to write another book to follow this one, would it be a, a, a two-parter? Would it be somewhat autobiographical? Or would you do something completely different as far as topic? Well, I, you know, I don't know because I'm, I'm not involved. I don't really consider myself involved in politics anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm more of an observer. Mm-hmm. What I have been reflecting on and what I am, am interested in writing about, the, what, the, what the changes in, in politics in Louisiana, especially in the last 10, 15 years, oh, yeah. uh, what they mean for the future of this state. I mean, this state is, is probably more susceptible to climate change than any place else mm-hmm. in, on, in, Louis, in, in, in the country. Louisiana is you know, a very low-lying state. We're going to lose a lot of, of, of land when, with, with sea level rise. We're already losing a lot of our young people uh, because of the lack of economic um, opportunities yeah. here. Um, those are, that's going to accelerate, and it's going to change the politics of this place even more. And so uh, my reflection more is, is uh, you know, because I've seen my students, my children, even my wife and I, talk about, is it time to leave this place? Is it time to give up on this state? Uh, is, it, is there any hope uh, left here. And I know those conversations are happening in other places around the country, but that's really more what I'm interested in, in writing and reflecting on now is what just what is the future? Does or does this place have any any kind of bright future since the hurricanes, especially? Yeah, I'm in Houston, well, so I hear you. I know exactly. exactly what I you mean, mean, you know, we've had so many horrible storms that hit Louisiana in the last few years mm-hmm. and done so much damage. Mm-hmm. And people in South Louisiana, from New Orleans to Homa Thibodeau over to Lake Charles, I guarantee a lot of them are asking, can I stay and do this one more time? And a lot of people are increasingly saying no. And then on top of that, a lot of people are realizing that soon they will not be able to afford the the flood insurance or just the Mm -hmm. homeowner's insurance to continue living there. Well, I am looking forward to reading your book. It's Backrooms and Bayous. Bob Mann, thank you. Where can we get the book? Thank you so much. 
Well, you can get it uh, at backroomsandbayous.com or on Amazon or uh, any any place that sells uh, books online. And if you're in Louisiana, just about any any uh, any bookstore. But I but I sell them myself. I sell signed copies at backroomsandbayous.com. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.